Welcome to Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to serve God and your neighbor. If you want to learn more about our ministry, head over to mapc.com. If you're looking for a community where you can deepen your faith, we invite you to join us every Sunday at 1030 online or in person. I'm glad to be back. It is good to be with you here in person, and it is good to be with you online. I have selected as our scripture passage this morning those opening verses to the prophet Ezekiel, the first chapter beginning with verse number one. Listen once again to the word of God. In the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the river Kabar, the heavens were opened. And I saw visions of God on the fifth day of the month. It was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim. The word of the Lord came to the priest Ezekiel, son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kabar. And the hand of the Lord was on him there. As I looked, a stormy wind came out of the north, a great cloud with brightness around it and fire flashing forth continually. And in the middle of the fire, something like gleaming amber. In the middle of it was something like four living creatures. This was their appearance. They were of human form. Each had four faces and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands, and the four had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each of them moved straight ahead without turning as they moved. As for the appearance of their faces, the four had the face of a human being, the face of a lion on the right side, the face of an ox on the left side, and the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. The wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies. Each moved straight ahead. Wherever the spirit would go, they went, without turning as they went. In the middle of the living creatures, there was something that looked like burning coals of fire, like torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. The fire was bright, and the lightning issued from the fire. The living creatures darted to and fro like a flash of lightning. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One afternoon, I stood in line at Starbucks to get my favorite drink. A grande chai, no water, skim milk. I got it, picked it up, put the straw in, and started enjoying that delicious drink, headed out the door, and then thought, wait a minute, my wife Deborah might also want something to drink, so I got back in line to get her favorite drink of Frappuccino Mocha. Standing at the back of the line, I realized there's a young woman right in front of me. She looked to be about 40 years old and she was dressed very, very professionally. I had never seen her before, but I said to her, excuse me, is this your day to pay or mine? 
And without missing a beat, she looked at me and she said, oh, this is your day. And I said, I thought it was, but I wasn't sure. She said, yes, you're wonderful like this. I said, yes, it's true. I am wonderful like this. My wife sometimes forgets. Would you please tell her? She said, of course. And before she could change her mind, I pulled out my phone, hit the speed dial. Deb answered, hello. I said, honey, there's a woman here at Starbucks that wants to talk with you. And I gave her the phone. And the woman's like, what's your wife's name? I said, Deborah. And she said, Deborah, I want you to know that you have a wonderful husband, but that he has an even more wonderful wife. I bought her a coffee that day. I thought she enjoyed that, would enjoy that. I don't know what impressed me the most, her incredibly quick wit or the long, mournful sigh I heard from Deb on the other end of the phone. As some of you know, I enjoy striking up conversations wherever I go, an airport, an elevator, Starbucks, bus, subway. Deborah and Nathan, however, don't enjoy this habit. And believe it or not, they're sometimes even uncomfortable with it. On occasion, they will roll their eyes, on other occasions, they will look down, and on some occasions, they'll just sort of turn around and just walk away. Have any of you ever had something like that to happen? A friend or family member of yours does something, and you just want to turn around and, you know, walk, walk, walk away? Have you? Well, if you have, I think you're in a good position this morning to hear Ezekiel's message to us. For Ezekiel is weird. He's strange, he's outlandish, and he is embarrassing. Were you able to follow what he said to us in the first chapter today? Did that make sense to anyone? Stormy wind out of the north, great cloud of brightness. In the middle was something like four living creatures. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. What kind of mushrooms was Ezekiel spreading on his matzah? I don't have a clue. This is just bewildering. This is a strange and difficult passage, and it was written for a very strange and difficult time. We don't know too much about Ezekiel. We know that his father was a preacher and that he came from a long line of preachers that might somehow explain some of his weirdness. Uh, his background would have afforded him a wonderful education in Jerusalem, and he, his position in society was very, very high. From what we can tell, he began his preaching ministry around the age of 30, and he preached for 22 years. The most important thing about Ezekiel, however, actually the most important thing to remember when we're reading the Hebrew Scriptures, is what began when he was 25 years old. Victorious in battle, the Babylonian Empire entered Jerusalem, removed King Jehoiakim from power, and set up a puppet government. They then exiled many of its leading citizens. They were forced to pick up and move 700 miles away to Babylon. Some of them, like Ezekiel, 
ended up living in what is now southern Iraq. About 10 years after Ezekiel was deported, the Jews in Israel thought they would fight back, and they tried. They irritated Babylon. The empire swept in, destroyed the temple, ransacked Jerusalem, and then forcibly exiled even more of its citizens back to Babylon. How could this happen? How could they end up in a foreign land when God, their God, the God of the temple, had claimed them and was watching over them? Their sense of order, their sense of security and safety, their understanding of the way the world worked, their very trust in God was shattered. Remember the shock of 9-11? That, that gives us just a tiny, tiny glimpse into the trauma and the dislocation that they experienced in 587. As we read in Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Much of the Old Testament is a response to that question. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Ezekiel is no exception, and Ezekiel, thankfully, Ezekiel, in the spirit of the Apostle Paul, is foolish, and he's weird, and he's odd, because, because sometimes, sometimes when we have been exiled to a land of grief and despair and fear, sometimes when we are broken, Sometimes when our understanding of the way the world works has been shattered. Sometimes when our sense of order and security and safety have collapsed. Sometimes we need more than linear speech or rational words. We need more than an explanation and we need more than information. When we are in exile, we need, we need art. We need drama. We need music. We need something that can penetrate our catatonic dismay to bring good news to us down deep in our gut where it really, really counts. As I looked, I saw a stormy wind that came out of the north, a great cloud with brightness around it, and a fire flashing forth continually. And in the middle of the fire, something like, like gleaming amber? Strange images. Images, some of which they would have recognized, other which, other images, they would have scratched their head, but images that stuck to them and invited reflection and exploration and investigation. Sometimes we need something more than information or explanation. We need something that can touch us down here. And that's what Ezekiel is doing in the first chapter. Uh, how many of you have ever been to Lancaster, Pennsylvania? Oh, quite a few of you. Wonderful. Our home in Pennsylvania is about an hour east of Lancaster, and my wife Deborah and I have been there many, many times. Uh, one afternoon, after we'd gone to the downtown market, we walked around the city a little bit, and we came upon a street preacher with a big black Bible in hand and a crackling PA system. He shouted out to all the passers-by, Are you saved? Are you saved? 
If you die today, do you know where you're going? And everyone ignored him. No one made eye contact. They just kept going by. And I turned to my wonderful wife, and I said to her, Honey, I think I'll go and have a conversation with the gentleman. And she grabbed my arm and she said, not today, and pulled me back. And so I did not have a conversation with the gentleman, even though I really wanted to. Because if I could have spoken with him, what I would have said is, dude, sir, brother, it's not working. You're not getting through. People are ignoring you. No one wants to be shamed. No one wants to be shouted at. No one just needs information. If you want to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ, you need to communicate in a radically different way. Because sometimes information and explanation are just not enough. Far too often, the church in North America resembles that man on the street corner. We talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and shout and shout and shout and we do this and do this and do this. And the world is not listening. They are going by us, avoiding eye contact and getting on with their lives. And yet we continue to stand on the street corner and shout and shout and shout and yell and yell and yell. And then we're kind of perplexed. Why aren't people coming to worship? Why are they not here? Because we're, primarily we're not speaking in a language that will engage them. Would you imagine just for a moment that you're in a room having a conversation with your best friend, but then someone comes in and puts a blanket over you, and then another blanket, and then another blanket, and then another blanket. Can you still hear what your friend is saying? It's muffled. It doesn't make sense. Something similar is going on in our society. This is the challenge of the church in this time and place. There are many people in our society who have been disillusioned with the church because of so many sex scandals and money scandals. That's a blanket. There are so many other people who have been wounded and hurt by the church. There's another blanket. There's a, another group of people who are so turned off by the judgmentalism of the church, by some churches' racist and homophobic behavior and attitudes. And that's another blanket. Blanket after blanket after blanket have been put on our brothers and sisters in the world. And no matter how loudly we might want to scream and shout, the message is not going to get through. I am passionate about this today because I am passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I am passionate about how we can bear witness faithfully to our brothers and sisters in this community because I have no doubt that the good news we have to offer will speak to them. I have no doubt that the hope and the joy and the meaning that we want to bear witness to will make a profound difference in their lives. But how do we do that? Shouting on a street corner? No, if we keep trying to do church and communicate the way we did even 10 years ago, or 20 years ago, or 50 years ago, we're not going to get through. The blankets are too thick. What's called for today is the creativity, the imagination, 
of an Ezekiel. We live in a city that is world-renowned for fine arts. How might we here then engage the music as we so wonderfully do, and the stage, and art? How might we engage them to communicate the good news? Ezekiel uses all these word pictures to paint the hope of a chariot. That's what Ezekiel is portraying in the first chapter. It is a chariot. God's people have been exiled over to Babylon, and Ezekiel wants them to know that God is on the way and that God has not forgotten them. It is a chariot. And because it's God's chariot, we can read it and read it and read it, and it's never really going to fully make sense. One commentator I read this week said that it's like some of the images come into, into focus, but then just as quickly as they come into focus, they become fuzzy all over again. When they would have heard this vision, they would have understood some of it. A wind comes from the north. The wind! Oh, the wind that, that blew over the face of creation at the dawn of time. The whirlwind that carried Elisha up to heaven. The wind that spoke to Job. The wind? Oh, that's God. Wait a minute. Are you saying that God is with us? Yes. That was the message to the people in Babylon. God says, I am with you. An explanation wouldn't work. Information wouldn't work. Something more was needed. On occasion throughout my ministry, I have enjoyed taking the staff to a local coffee shop or restaurant for lunch. And I've enjoyed holding staff meetings at these places. And that was the case, day, uh, the case one afternoon in Delaware. Five or six of us went down to Starbucks and they got in line. I stayed last month to pay for it. And they're making their orders and placing their orders. And I noticed someone sitting on a stool by herself. And so I, uh, I, I said, excuse me, uh, how are you doing today? She said, I could be better. I said, really? What's, what's going on? She said, I just received word that my grandmother has had a stroke and it's up in Pennsylvania and I can't get there today. And so I got my chai and instead of going to the staff meeting, I sat down with her. And I said, tell me about your grandmother. And she did. She was glad to have someone to talk about regarding her grandmother. And then when she was finished, when she didn't want to go any farther, she said, uh, and how is your day going? It seems like you're having a lot of fun. I said, yes, it's a good day. Uh, this is our staff, and we've come here today for a meeting. And she said, well, it looks like you work with a wonderful group of people. You've got so much spirit. You seem to be having so much fun. You're laughing. You enjoy being together. And I said, yeah, yeah. We are. Um, guess what we do? She said, hmm, real estate. <laughs> and I said, no, 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 no. I said, uh, actually, we're ministers. Uh, the four of us are ministers, and we have a couple of other staff with us. And she was like, what? 
And our conversation ended about that time. <laughs> I got up and went and joined and led the meeting. What would it take? This, this is what I want to leave with you today. What would it take for her to have said, oh, that kind of spirit, that kind of fun, that kind of joy, I know who you are. You're from the church. What will it take for our neighbors to look upon us and go, joy, hope, meaning and fulfillment? Wow, how can we do that? How might we tap into the creativity of an Ezekiel to let the world know that there is good news? The good news that God's chariot is coming to them. The good news of joy and hope and love. How? How are we going to do that? <laughs>